This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Here we go, hour two. Great day for talk radio. It's Friday. Made it to the tail end of a rather quiet week. Well, it was noisy yesterday at the ACC. I can't believe ACC Scotiabank. There you go. Uh, that the Leafs booted that when they were up two zip. But uh, boy, it's going to be touch and go in the next few games at least. Freddie Anderson is on the shelf. He's got that injury, I guess, is a groin thing. Goalie's never good because, you know, the groin plays a huge part. So uh, instead, I guess, what are we rele- we're relegated to a rent-a-goalie. Shanahan calls rent-a-goalie, and uh, they sent over whomever, you know. And the kicker is all of the players kick in five bucks to uh, meet the 45 or 50 he's charging for the hour. So uh, that's kind of neat. It's replicating my beer league experiences. There you have it. Uh, God bless him. Uh, tomorrow, Vancouver. And the Raptors uh, crapped the proverbial blanket last night in San Antonio. Uh, sort of a, I would say, retribution for DeMar DeRozan. Uh, you know, where, anyway, if you're following all of this, needless to say, uh, it's one of those deals where uh, yesterday wasn't a good day for the local sports teams. However, uh, we'll seek to make amends tomorrow and uh, beyond. So that, uh, and you know, the Leafs, by the way, in their own end, they're really vulnerable. It's one of those things where... Uh, you can take the puck off them, a lot of turnovers. Yeah, well, that's one of those things. The ice checks are one thing, street checks are another. Let me get on to street checks, uh, because this story that's been sort of roiling about for the last number of years, uh, the carding debate, 2015, City of Toronto and the police force suspended the practice. It was considered to be, uh, well, unconstitutional to some minds, and now... We've got this uh, report that's just come out from the Court of Appeal Justice Tullock earlier today. He was elaborating and explaining that there's a difference between carding and street jacks. 310-page review, and it uh, pretty much cites out, uh, cites that uh, the arbitrary or random nature of these stops is the real bugaboo in the equation. So uh, what are police left to do if they want to actively engage in a community to deter crime? Let's find out. David Perry is on the line. He's Global News Radio's crime and security analyst, as well as the CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc. David, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Good to be with you. Well, tell me now, uh, the street checks apparently are okay in Justice Tullock's interpretation of things. What does this mean? What is a street check? Well, you know, I've read the report, and uh, he d- differentiates a fair bit between uh, carding and street checks. And, um, you know, if you fall down on the side of the law, which we all should do, is it's pretty clear what the police can and can't do. Um, but, uh, you know, I, the part I disagree with, quite frankly, is, is his uh, definition of carding. You know, carding, he's saying, is basically the ran- random stopping of people to gather data to put into an intel system. And you know what, if people were, were doing that, they were misusing or, or being inappropriate with what was set up as a carding system. And, um, you know, I, I just think that um, that's going to have a negative impact on our communities by not allowing the police or having the, the, the police with the authority to go in and to investigate in troubled areas and speak to people properly and so on. So I, I, I'm a more troubled by this report than I am happy with it. Really? All right. Let's pursue that, though. If they're compiling data and hanging on to it, you know, there are some from the privacy commissioner or former privacy commissioner, Ann Kavukian, on down, suggesting that that's uh, an invasion of privacy, unnecessarily so. Uh, and you disagree? I, I do disagree. And I, I think that, you know, the police not only have the right, but they have the duty to, to collect intelligence. And, you know, with the, the purpose, obviously, to keep communities safe, there's no um, untoward reason behind it. There's, it's, it's uh, you know, policing that even Justice Tullock said in his report has been 
used for generations, not just decades. And it's it's the style of policing that uh, we in Canada have come accustomed to, where police are allowed to, if they see something that looks suspicious to them, that, you know what, I think a good police officer and, is supposed to go in there and, and put their nose into it and see what's going on to make sure that there, you know, there isn't something happening in that community that puts people at risk. And, you know, if we follow all of the recommendations of the report, I think that's going to be missed. And I think we're going to continue to see what we've seen over the last year or two with quite a, a rapid increase of violent crime in the city of Toronto and in the GTA. Interesting. All right. Well, the idea that they would have to act upon a reasonable suspicion, that's pretty subjective, isn't it? It can be pretty subjective, and it can also be um, very, very, uh, uh, it's quite a burden for the police to, if, if we were to accept this report and all the recommendations, including the fact that a police officer now, if he stops and engages with a, a citizen and starts asking for information, um, Justice Talk recommends that there's a, there's a report that that police officer has to put in and answer questions from A to R. So I think that's some 18 questions, and those questions, uh, you know, are are some of them I find very troubling. And and at the end of the day, what police officer is going to want to go over and do his or her job and and to investigate somebody when they know that number one they've got to fill out all this paperwork and there's enough of that. So and of the 18, two, oh okay, I was just going to ask though, of the 18, what are particularly troubling to you? Well, you know, it, it's it puts the officers I think in a subjective area where. Um, you know, they're supposed to comment on whether or not they saw the person that they were interacting with uh, as belonging to a visible minority or if any of the people that were with them were with a visible minority and kind of all the things that we've really been forbidden from doing before and suddenly we're supposed to do them for, but for a completely different purpose. And uh, I, I like statistics, but I've always believed if we're going to do statistics, let's let's really do it right and you know, if you're going to make assertions that, uh, you know, the statistics fall on one side of the community versus the other side of the community, whether it's by race or sexual orientation or whatever, it's important for us to know the true answers to all of that. And I don't know, it's just hard for me to read that and, and to believe that if you're if you're to take it on its merit, that police officers are, for example, stopping people because of their race. And, and I was a police officer for 28 years and never worked with anybody who ever did that. And, and I would find that kind of activity appalling, I, I, and I, I've never seen it. And it's not to say there is no racism and there's no bias in policing. It's everywhere. But, you know, as a profession and as a whole, I don't know anybody that acts that way. Again, David Perry's with us, Global News Radio's crime and security analyst. So the idea that uh, if there is, let's just say, theoretically, a disproportionate amount of crime in a certain precinct or uh, community and... You know, there's a certain uh, makeup uh, demographically uh, where police, I mean, it's almost inevitable if they're stopping people or uh, wanting to engage members of that community and they're taking down data, it may be tilted, uh, you know, disproportionately in one way or another that, you know, might reflect on a a certain bias or a perceived bias anyway. Would you agree with that much? I I would agree with that. And that's where we have to get some you know spend some time with some true analytics and have a look at you know what exactly is going on and you know i reflect back on my career and i started toronto police back in the mid-1970s and you know we weren't the multicultural city that we are today and the communities that i cut my teeth in policing 
Um, I'm, I'm just going to say it, everybody that I dealt with was white. And so these issues, when, when it came to collection of data and all that, you got what you got because that was the community. And in a lot of cases, I truly believe that that's the reverse is happening now, that we, we've got what we got as far as how many people from, for example, from the black community are being stopped is because that's that's who lives in some of these communities. And if you send the police in there to do their job and they're going interact, to interact with their community, they the, first of all, the police should be doing it without any discriminatory approach or any bias whatsoever, but who they come in contact is with who they come in contact with. And I, I think that's important that we dig down and to, to really find out uh, what the true issues are. You know, uh, where Justice Tullock said the tools are already at the police's disposal, uh, they're more than sufficient to tackle crime and violence than carding. Stops I must totally be... I totally disagree with him on that point. Okay, uh, he goes on to say stops must be based on more than a hunch or spidey sense. Yet the head of the association, Mike McCormick, on the show two days ago says uh, a veteran cop or, uh, you know, a cop who's been in the field more than a few few years, uh, a hunch still means something, does it? I think it does. And I, I think that's what we empower police with, um, you know, the, the extraordinary powers to go out and do what they do every day and to, to use sound judgment that is not based on discrimination or any other thing. And to do their job. And if, you know, for example, Justice Tullock would paint a picture in his report where, you know, people have the right to hang out. Absolutely agree. And when people are hanging out and you're seeing people in parks and doing what families are supposed to be doing, of course, those, are, those people are not going to be approached by the police, nor are they going to be asked to potentially identify themselves or anything like that. But when you've got, you know, a high crime area where there's an extraordinary amount of drug activity and, and gang activity and so on, well, the police are going to focus on that. And why? Because they're trying to keep those communities safe and they're trying to help the people that live in these marginalized communities who are under sort of under the pressure of having to live in such a violent neighborhood. And I think it's it's incumbent upon the police to get in there and to do their job and to assist everybody in that community. And if they're focusing in on uh, gang activity, which is the, the number one issue in every major city across Canada, I, I don't know why would we be suggesting that that we take all of the recommendations from this report and, and just simply take them on, on face value. I think there needs to be an awful lot more work done. All right, but conversely, let's say uh, a black person living in a predominantly white community who seems to be stopped an inordinate number of times, does that constitute harassment or is that just legitimate policing? Well, I, I, I'm just going to say in all the years that I was uh, a police officer, I would say that's legitimate policing. Um Maybe, and I'm just saying maybe, if you take a look at these individual um, interactions, if somebody is stopped three or four times, is, is it something in their behavior and their driving habits or something else that they're doing, they're doing that is, is drawing the attention of the police? Um, so those are the things that I'd like to see when, when we're studying these kinds of, of issues. And I, I certainly want, like every police officer, I'd like to see you know the best community relations that we can possibly have between the police and every community, and I just I just think that we're heading down a slippery slope with this particular report. And if we're going to tell people, you know, you don't have to talk to the police, and the, you know, we're going to go, you know, take a very sort of strong left turn on on what's been the core values of policing and community interaction, and change all of that because of one report, I think. We're potentially heading down a, a very slippery slope. I guess, you know, uh, as the case example goes, a young black man, maybe 24, in a Range Rover, you know, a $100,000 Range Rover, driving through Rosedale, uh, is that a flag? No, it's not a flag at all. Okay. And that, and that individual should be allowed to drive just like anybody else. Not not a flag at all. All right. The um, other th- 
you know, where it might be a flag is if uh, that same person, regardless of color and regardless of vehicle, is driving in a neighborhood that's plagued with gun and gang activity and they're approaching a, a group of people that potentially are dealing drugs on the street, that, that would draw your attention. And that's a car that needs to be stopped and investigated and make sure that they're not involved in illicit drug, illicit drug trade or, or gangs. David, something else that uh, Justice Tullock said, uh, carding has little to no value as a law enforcement tool and should be significantly limited given the social cost of the practice. Uh, is that your perception there's a social cost? Because I don't know how he verifies that or it's strictly anecdotal. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. And that's one of the questions, John, that I would like to have answered. Is there a social cost to this? And if there is, then maybe we have to look at how we how we do anything that has to do with street investigations in the future. But the thing that I do know, and I'm, I'm 100% confident in, is that since they first started talking about disbanding carding, the, the, the crime has increased significantly, that we've had our murder rates go up, we've had shootings go up, our stabbings are right off the dial in terms of just previous years um, statistically. And, and what's happened, John, I think what we're missing on this is that call it carding, call it a street investigation, it doesn't matter. The interaction that police officers would have uh, operating on, you know, let's say suspicion or some some information that hasn't been confirmed and, and they go in and they, they start talking to people and checking people out. Quite often you find out that these people are out on bail, that they're not supposed to be in the neighborhood that they're in, they're not supposed to be associating with other criminals that they're they're with and all these kinds of things. So we're missing all of that. So when people get arrested for, let's say, possession of a firearm and they get bail, well, they're back out in the streets and there's no interaction between the police any longer. It's not the police's fault. There's no interaction between the police. So those people get released and they just continue. They go right back to their usual business and in the drug trade and they're carrying guns and they're doing it nowadays with impunity. I mean, I, you saw the report the other day where one person fired another person and that person pulled a pistol out of their waistband and fired back. Like that's how many guns are on the street now that we have people. And these aren't good people. Yeah, but so Tullock, really, uh, the underlying theme of his 310-page report is that uh, this has no value on the street, this carding. Uh, You dispute or disagree with that. I guess he's saying correlation is not causation. Just because carding's been stopped has no correlation to, uh, or or hasn't caused crime to increase. You dispute that. I do, and I don't know what statistics he's reading, but um, he, in his own report, talked about the fact, I think there was a 67 percent increase in 2018 from 2017 in the the amount of guns seized off the street. So in his view, that shows that carding has no effect. We actually seize way more firearms without carding, without street checks. And what what I take from that is that there are so many guns on the street today because there is no street investigations going on and it's, it's taken a real grip on our streets that we're going to, we're going to see that number go up next year. And with that number up, up will go the number of shootings and homicides uh, where firearms were used, it's it's all how you look at it. And I think, you know, respectfully, I think he's taking a very skewed look at what's really happening out there. I could take anybody for a drive in any neighborhood in the city and show you when a police officer should or shouldn't be stopping somebody. And I could tell you that it wouldn't be based on race. It would be based on crime statistics, on timelines, on behavior, on gut feelings sometimes, which Justice Tollett strongly disagrees with. But you know, I've always been of the opinion that's why we pay the police to do their job is to go out and use their instincts and to keep our neighborhood safe. If somebody is in my neighborhood 
and they're acting in a way that draws the attention of the police, I fully expect that the police would go over and make sure that my, my street is safe, that my community is safe. And I think most people feel exactly the same way. Well, we're going to find out how the government of Doug Ford responds or reacts. That's all this is, is a report to this point. Uh, recommendations, whether he picks up the ball and runs with it, or uh, they're coming out with their own, uh, I guess, position statement shortly, uh, as we're told. Uh, but I appreciate your insights. Uh, you know, as a former cop, 28 years in the city of Toronto, and now the CEO of Investigative Solutions Network, Inc. Really appreciate your time, David. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Anytime. You got it. David Perry, again, Global News Radio's crime and security analyst. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 